Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cricket Daily. It's June the 1st, and I'm one of your co-hosts, Andrew Mensel. Joining me is freelance cricket journalist Gav Joshi. And Gav, how are you? I'm well, Menace. Nice to be on the Cricket Daily. Yes, Cricket Daily is your daily hit of cricket news delivered in under 15 minutes. We're going to be covering all the worldwide cricket news. In this edition, we have the appointment of Nick Hockley as Cricket Australia CEO. We're going to discuss the build-up to the first test between England and New Zealand. And then there's been some announcements from South Africa and Afghanistan that we'll touch on later on. Let's get straight into it. Cricket Australia have ended their long search for a new chief executive officer with interim CEO Nick Hockley given the permanent role. Hockley was given the interim interim role last year when Kevin Roberts was removed from his position. Hockley is an experienced administrator having worked on the 2012 London Olympics, the 2015 Cricket World Cup and the 2020 T20 World Cup. And Malcolm Connor, chief cricket writer for the Sydney Morning Herald, has written about the upcoming challenges facing Hockley, which include next year negotiating a new pay deal with the players and the Australian Cricketers Association, and the year after that, negotiating a new TV deal, which is complicated by the poor relationship between free-to-air holders, Channel 7 and Cricket Australia. Gav, what are your thoughts on the appointment of Nick Hockley? I think it was the obvious choice. He's been the interim CEO for, you know, close to about, say, nearly a year now. And the way he handled the Indian tour down under, uh, dealing with the BCCI is often one of the greatest challenges for any administrator from outside of India and felt like uh, he handled them quite well. He did have, I believe, a pretty strong um, person there, Earl Ed- Eddings, who's at the moment, his head's on the bit of a chopping board, but Earl Eddings has some, uh, has some decent relationship with the BCCI. So that certainly helped him, allowed him to manage the summer in terms of logistics um, and to ensure that you know, the, the communication with the Indian team through the BCCI was quite well handled. And I think the way Nick Hockley handled the T20 Women's World Cup and that allowed him to get into that interim CEO position was probably the big tick mark for, for Nick. Um, if you just have a look, you know, close to 90,000 fans, Katy Perry, that World Cup final in, in Melbourne, um, it just shows a guy who's got, you know, two of the biggest... Uh, questions as an administrator ticked off dealing with the BCCI and and 
developing or prospering uh, the administration and the success of women's sport. And I think that's two big ticks for Nick. Um, and he's shown just in the last sort of six odd months that he can uh, communicate. He understands the Australian system well. Um, so I think absolutely right choice. Um, I think the biggest challenge for him in the short term will be how he deals with the Australian uh, cricketers and the uh, cricketers association. We've already seen, you know, few of the, or the players are already back in Australia, but will they be going to, say, a Bangladesh or the IPL? Uh, already rumours David Warner and Pat Cummins possibly won't go. So how does he handle those situations? Does he ensure that the players do go return back to the IPL? Doesn't want to displease the BCCI? So that's sort of a bit of a short-term th- uh, for Nick Hockley. And I think on the long term, as you alluded to, that quote from uh, Malcon. Um, it will be a great summer because England are here, but it's what happens after that because there will be no India and England the following summer. So does he have the right skills? Does he ensure that the right broadcasting deal is struck Um, going forward to be Channel 7? We know all the issues that have actually uh, risen. Uh, So I reckon that will be his long-term project. But right now, I I think there's no other choice. Um, And Nick has shown that he's more than capable of uh, handling the job. I agree. He's steady and unflappable. So I like the appointment. Now, the Australian players and commentators and coaches have emerged from their two weeks of quarantine, their mandatory hotel quarantine that is mandatory for all people returning to Australia. And they now must face a decision on whether they are available for the resumption of the IPL. Nick Hockley has said that once we get back together as a group, the IPL is something we'll obviously need to discuss. Um, but our first priority is making sure they are reunited with their families and we have a tour to prepare for in the West Indies. So mo- it will be interesting to monitor the way um, that situation unfolds, as you alluded to there, Gav. And in more IPL news, QuickBuzz has written that they believe crowds of up to 50% capacity will be allowed in the UAE for the IPL when it resumes later this year, that the laws in the UAE state that if you're vaccinated, then you can go and capacity can be up to 50%. So that's quite a good result if that plays out. Now, Gav, England and New Zealand are preparing for the first test at Lords. Gary Steed, the New Zealand coach, has spoken about the lead, spoken in the lead up to the game about mm-hmm. the strength of his fast bowlers to support uh, Wagner and Southie. You've got uh, Kyle Jamison, Matt Henry, Doug Bracewell and Jacob Duffy all in contention with uh, Trempolt unavailable for this series. What are your thoughts on this series, Gav? Well, the big question is, and I've written this really well uh, uh, written article on Crick Info by George DeBell. It says, what is the point of this series because it's not part of the current FTP program and it's not part of the future West uh, World Test Championship. So why are they actually playing this series? Now, we all know that last year, yes, England did have their international summer with West Indies and Pakistan over there. But of course, their big uh, target was was the 100 starting and that didn't quite happen. Um, So it's a little bit of a nice gesture. bit of compensation if not financially for some of the counties to ensure that they have uh, plenty of cricket action um, uh, over there that they might have missed out on last summer so that's the reason why England are staging uh, these two test matches from a New Zealand perspective uh, 
let's not forget that in 2019, England was not prepared to, well, was not part of uh, the FDP to tour New Zealand, but they ended up uh, going there. And we all know when the big three come uh, travel abroad and visit the home board that the, the board has some lucrative offers financially. It uh, offers them a more, more stability. Um, so because of that, New Zealand couldn't say no. They were prepared to travel. And importantly, it allows them to prepare for that World Test Championship final against India in about, say, two and a half weeks' time. Uh, it allows them to prepare for, uh, in terms of using the Duke's balls, the conditions. Uh, but I think New Zealand played it smartly as well, not you know resting someone like Trent Bolt, who's going to be so vital for them in that World Test Championship final. Um, as far as the team goes, you can tell that th- this is, a, I won't say it's a practice game, but it, it, it's an ideal way to prepare. And I think New Zealand have sort of shown that. Now, they can test out which players they want to use, uh, firm their batting uh, probably at the top. Maybe a guy like uh, Conway might get a go. And to have that backup um a bowling unit and just to get someone like a Carl Jemison, who I think is going to be so important in that World Test Championship final. So I think it, it is the right uh, decision the way New Zealand are going about it. And England, like I said, it's a nice little preparation for their players and test out their depth um, before the India Test Series in about, say, a couple of months' time. Gav, do you know when India are due to arrive in England? Yep, they arrive on the 3rd of June and it's just been confirmed that some of the family members um, have uh, had confirmation for the UK government so they can uh, go along with uh, the players as we had during the Australian tour um, earlier on this summer. So that's uh, important because from what I understand, after the World Test Championships and prior to the whole preparation for the Test Series, the Indian players will get a couple of weeks break where I feel they can just use that break to travel around UK and possibly um, Europe. So having their families there, no doubt, will ensure that while there will be bubble life to start off with, it it makes that transition a lot easier. It's strange that they're playing this Test match against New Zealand at Lords, but the World Test Championship final is being played down in Southampton. Yeah, I think that decision was made uh, earlier uh, from what what I understand. It is rather strange. I mean, everyone who talked about the World Test Championship within the uh, Indian unit, they wanted to be, you know, if they win the trophy, they would ideally like to hoist that trophy at, at Lords. It is the home of cricket. Um and it's, it will be the first time. So it's a little bit disappointing in that sense. But uh, let's, to be fair, Southampton, the conditions down there might favour India a little bit more uh, than what Lords would have, especially in early part of the English summer. All right. The next headline coming out of South Africa now, the, mm-hmm. the Cricket South Africa Annual Awards have been presented. And the male cricket of the year was Anrik Norkia. And the female cricket of the year was Shabnim Ismail. Um, Australian listeners will be well aware of Ismail's heroics in the WBBL. But Norka has had a terrific year. He played just 10 test matches, but has taken 39 wickets, including three five-wicket haul. And Gav, he's going to really take a lot of test wickets over the next few years. Yeah, a little for late bloomer uh, menace, but I feel that he's the fastest bowler in the world at the moment. We talked about, you know, likes of Mitchell Stark and Boomer and 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 Rabada and 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 so forth. But I genuinely think consistency-wise, the amount of times that Andre Norkia hits 
uh, you know, clocks the, the ball at, in excess of 145 kilometers an hour is is probably the highest across all formats for any bowler over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. So good on him. And uh, Ispo, I, there are a lot of uh, listeners out there and a lot of women's cricketers and girls um Looking at uh, Ismail, I think she has one of the best bowling actions. Um, so if you want to replicate anything, uh, she's definitely the one to follow. And so good on her. Like Sydney Thunder, she plays in the BBL, uh, WBBL, sorry. And good on her to get that award. And our final headline for the June 1st edition of Cricket Daily, Afghanistan have removed their national captain, Ashkar Afghan has been removed following an investigation by the Afghanistan Cricket Board. In a new split captaincy arrangement, Hasmatullah Shahidi will now be the country's new Test and ODI captain, and they will appoint a new T20 captain soon. A quote from Afghanistan Cricket Board is, the decision to remove Ashkar Afghan from captaincy was taken based on an investigation conducted by the Afghanistan Cricket Board's investigative committee, which concluded that some of the Afghans' decisions as the captain of the team resulted in Afghanistan's loss to Zimbabwe in the first test of the series between both sides in Abu Dhabi in March. So, yeah, a little bit of upheaval in Afghanistan cricket. Well done, Menes, on the couple of tongue twisters there with Ashgar, Afghan. Um, and Afghanistan, but I think you handled that extremely well. So well done to you, and uh, we've got these updates, and I'm really looking forward to um, be part of this daily show uh, alongside you and you know some of our other co-hosts. Uh, we've only heard your uh, and Paul Dennett's voice. Uh, I'm the third person, but as the week goes along. Exactly. Barrett Sunderason, Robin Chipperfield, Jack Clifton, and a whole cast of it. So thanks for listening to this edition of Cricket Daily. Gav, thanks for joining me. We'll be back tomorrow. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now, driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.